because we're going to study the Bible. Open up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to start with verse 25. We've been working our way through Luke 10, and we're going to keep working our way through Luke 10 for a while. So tonight we're going to talk about the story of the Good Samaritan, which I'm guessing a few of you have heard before. Sometimes when we've heard a story many, many times, this is actually a scientific fact. If we've heard something many times, our brain has a tendency to stop listening to it because our brain says, oh, I know that. I don't have to really pay attention anymore. And that can be a problem with certain Bible passages. Luke 10, 25 is where we're starting. Um, and so you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan many times before. And so I encourage you to actively work against that impulse in your brain to stop listening as Tony reads this passage and to either follow along or listen hard and let's see what God has for us in this passage tonight. Luke 10, 25 and following. Let's go. Um, The parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Verse 28, uh, 9. But he, desiringly just to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man, who was going, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down, the, down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two... I don't know, money, <laughs> and gave them to the innkeeper. <laughs> Two monies. <laughs> um, wait, yeah, yeah, there we go. Innkeeper saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, he said? The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Good job. Good reading. Pay no attention. So I'm going to sit down because we're not doing a sermon so much as we're going to do a little Bible study tonight. We're going we're to look at this together as a group, and you are going to help preach the sermon. Ooh, don't be too nervous unless, unless you do a terrible job. Um, in which case, you can be nervous. Just kidding. Okay. So a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. So, do Jews and Samaritans like each other? 
Does anybody know why they don't really like each other? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Real loud so I can hear you. Yes, they disagree on the place where they should worship God. Why? Do you remember? Mm-hmm. But they worship the same God, right? They both worship Yahweh. Anybody else? Anything to add? So do you remember way back in the Old Testament, there was like the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel? They split, the 12 tribes split. Well, one of those became Samaria, and one of them remained Israel after a lot of time in Babylon and things like that. And after hundreds and hundreds of years, they started to not like each other, and then they started to hate each other, and then they started to utterly despise one another. Have you ever seen the Veggie Tales where they're throwing shoes and pots back and forth? On <laughs> That's supposed to be the Jews and the Samaritans, Okay. They were not fans of each other, to put it mildly. The Jews were taught that the Samaritans were their enemies and that they should hate them, that the proper attitude towards these people was hate. That's what they were taught. I don't know where they get that because that's crazy, but that's what they were taught. Um, This road that they are on is known at the time as the Bloody Path or the Road of Blood which is a foreboding name, right? Uh, There was a lot of rocks and and crannies and places for people to hide and jump out and beat you up and take your stuff, which is what we see happening here. So they sort of expect this kind of story for this place. But it was the fastest way to get between two of these parts within Israel, and so people would risk it sometimes if they were in a hurry. Um, All right, so we start out in verse 25 with a lawyer or an expert in the law which doesn't mean like a litigator in today's standards. Of course, that means Bible law, right? He was a theologian, basically. So what's he trying to accomplish here? Verse 25. Trying to trap Jesus? Yeah, trying to stump him. This, this happens other places, right? A lot of the Pharisees, the scribes, the theologues, they show up and they try to trick him or stump him or test him. Um, they use the, word, the word they use here is test, but it all means basically the same thing. And so what does he ask Jesus? What do I do to inherit the, the, the eternal life? And what does Jesus say in response? Yeah, so this is interesting. Jesus often answers the question with a question, especially to people who are trying to test him. So this guy is an expert in what? the law. And so what does Jesus ask him? What does the law say? He asks him about the law. Um, how do you read it? And what, what does the guy answer him? He answers him correctly, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Notice how Jesus sort of turns the tables on the dude who's an expert in the law and he knows what he's doing and he shows up to test Jesus. And now this guy's sort of on the defensive and Jesus says, you have answered correctly. So Jesus has put himself just through smartness, because Jesus is smart, um, kind of in a position of authority over this guy. This guy doesn't like Jesus. That's clear. Most of the scribes, the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, they didn't like Jesus because he's going around doing miracles, and they can't deny that miracles are from God, and so they really hate it because the stuff that he's teaching is against what they teach. And people are starting to say, this dude, he might be the Messiah. 
And that really bugs them because they had a different view of what the Messiah was going to be, and they had a lot of plans for that guy. And Jesus didn't fit in any of their plans. Um, he also didn't follow a lot of their ways. So they, they're not a fan of him. And I think it's safe to say that they did not consider Jesus to be their neighbor. Right? Because the, the second part of the passage is love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, this is verse 28 now, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. And then what does the guy respond? Who is my neighbor? And why, why does he ask that? What, what's the deal? Why, why the clarification, do you think? Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's exactly right. I mean, it says here desiring to justify himself, so he's trying to justify himself. To, in other words, to prove that what he's doing is absolutely right, so that he's on his way to heaven. In other words, because they think that they know how to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus has something to say against that because he doesn't think they're doing a very good job of that either. But they think they've got that one down, and he sort of has a little hesitation here. I think he probably intended to say, I, I do all that, Jesus, so I already have eternal life. But for some reason, he pauses and he says, well, who is my neighbor? Um, I wonder if maybe he was getting a little conviction there from the Holy Spirit. If maybe he was wondering if Jesus was going to come next by saying, am I your neighbor? In which case, he would have to figure out what to say, and maybe he didn't want to. I'm not sure exactly what was going on. But he did want to justify himself. Specifically, he doesn't want to love everybody. Right? Clearly. He doesn't want to have to love everybody. But he's willing to do exactly what is required and not a cent more. (laughs) He's not going to love anyone any more than he has to, and he's not going to love any one person that he doesn't have to love. So there's kind of an attitude issue here, I would say. I would say he's sort of missing the whole point. Right? Um... So who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with the story, the story of the Good Samaritan. Okay. So this guy's going down the road. He gets beat up. They steal his stuff. And as if that wasn't bad enough, they rip off all his clothes and beat him to the point of death, just for good measure, I guess. So these are not nice people, right? The word is highwaymen. Um, For these guys who beat him up, they're the same people that Jesus was crucified between um, these two guys on the cross. Not necessarily these two guys, because this is a made-up story. Um, But on the cross, he was crucified between two thieves, and the word there is the same word, the same word for people who do this, okay? So those are the guys that Jesus was with on the cross, which we could do a whole thing on what that has to do with this, but we'll skip it for now. Um, So who comes by after this guy's beat up? Who's the first one? The priest. Why didn't the priest help the guy? What do you think? Okay, that's good. This guy was, his, well, his job was a priest. Okay, that was his job. That was his career. And in order to stay uh, ceremonially clean, he couldn't touch a dead body because that would make him unclean for, I think, seven days, a certain period of time, right? Now, this guy is on the dangerous road because he's probably in a hurry. He's trying to get from one place to another quicker than normal, so he's risking this dangerous road. So he's probably on his way from ministering in Jericho to going back to Jerusalem to do more stuff, um, priestly stuff, because that's his job. And 
maybe he sees this guy and he wonders, this guy might be dead. Or if he's not dead, he might die while I'm helping him. And if he dies while I'm helping him, now I've touched a dead body. And I'm unclean, ceremonially, so I can't do my job. So you see, there's a religious component here. His own religion, and by that I mean the man-made stuff we do to try to get to God, not the genuine relationship with Jesus part. The, the man-made stuff we do. His religion is getting in the way of him doing something he's clearly supposed to do, right? He's supposed to help this guy. Everybody listening to this story knows what all these people should do. They should help the guy. And that's even in the Old Testament, that you're supposed to help people in need. Even if they're a stranger, even if they're a sojourner, in your land. You're supposed to help them, which this guy was. He was a Samaritan. I mean, uh, he wasn't a Samaritan. He was a Jew. Um, so he was his own people, and he still doesn't help him. The guy's a Jew. His own people, and he still doesn't help him. There's religion got in his way, and I think his own career got in his way. He put his career above helping this guy, because his career would have been in jeopardy. If he, if he was unclean, he would have showed up back to Jerusalem, and he couldn't work. Couldn't do his job for X number of days. So it put his career in jeopardy, and he wasn't willing to risk that. Are we with me? Anything else? What, what else do you think? Why didn't the priest help him? Fear? Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Say more about the fear. What do you think? I agree. I agree. And I think that also, you know, the Levite is the next guy to come by, right? And maybe they, maybe he was really close behind. I don't know. Maybe the priest knew he was coming. Maybe the priest was a little worried that if the Levite saw him attending to the guy, he might blame him for what had happened. It's possible. I doubt a Levite would blame a, blame a priest for beating the crap out of a guy, but, um, but it's possible. So the Levite, what do, what do you think about him? Some of the stuff I think, some of these things apply to him too, the fear one, certainly. Maybe dead bodies are yucky. Maybe he's afraid that he'll mess it up. Maybe he's afraid that it's a trap. It's a trap. And he's going to go over there to help this guy, and the guy's going to spin around and stab him. Stranger things have happened. Okay? Or maybe the guys who attacked him are hiding behind the next rock, waiting. Okay, we're luring him close. We're luring him close with this pretend uh, almost dead person, and then we're going to jump out and get him. Okay? They know the road they're on. They know it's a dangerous place. So maybe he's afraid for his own safety. I, that's, that's a legitimate thing to be afraid of, I think. Um, and we already said how these guys, if they're on this road, they're probably in a hurry. They probably really need to get back to Jerusalem quickly. Who knows why? Maybe work. Um, Levites, you know, they had, they had ceremonial work as well. Um, the cleanliness thing probably wasn't as big of a deal for the Levite. Um, but he was probably in a hurry. Anything else anybody could think of? What does the Levite do that the priest doesn't do? Anybody see it? 
some translations make it more clear than others. Um, but the priest was going down. He saw him pass by on the other side of the road. The Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, what that actually means is he went up to the guy and looked. So he went closer. The priest saw and passed on the other side of the road as far away as possible against the cliff wall, sneaking by quickly to get away from this situation. The Levite came up and looked at the guy. I don't know why. Maybe to see if he was still alive or something. I don't know. Um, I think it's interesting that he comes a little closer and still doesn't help. Like maybe it was the fear thing. Maybe he's like, this guy's too far gone. I I don't know what I want to do. But anyway, both of them, for whatever reasons, Jesus doesn't say the specific reasons. We just have to guess. And ultimately, it doesn't matter (laughs) what their reasons were. They were supposed to help this guy, right? Yeah, Andy. I did not. You may you may do so now. Busy, busy, dreadfully busy. You've no idea. Vegetarian. Exactly. So this is way inconvenient. Continue. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And I think that there's, between the lines, you can sort of read a little bit of judgment by both the priest and the Levite, that maybe they did think he was lower than them or that he deserved it. Um, among Judaism, there was, there was a belief in something sort of like karma, like in a, non, in a non-biblical way, in the, in the sense that if something bad is happening to you, you probably deserved it. So there could be that as well. Um, and... Jesus is clearly getting at exactly what you said. If they cared for this guy, if they truly loved their neighbor as themselves, and if this guy is their neighbor, they would have stopped to help him. Even if it was way inconvenient, would it have cost them time, cost them money, jeopardized their career for a couple days, and, or whatever it was, or maybe even personal, personal safety. If they were their neighbor and they loved their neighbor, they would stop and help the guy. right? So clearly, these people did not see that guy as their neighbor. Right? I think that's what Jesus is getting at. I agree. Um, and remember, he's talking to this guy, this, this lawyer dude. Um, so he's like, okay, he set the situation up as these two people should have done the right thing. They did not. They're the people you would expect to do the right thing. The Levite, the priest, helping another Jew, you absolutely would expect them to do it. They did not. Because they have a very narrow view of the truth of the law, the truth of what this guy said, that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. They defined it very narrowly, and they said this guy isn't our neighbor. Whereas clearly you're supposed to help this guy, clearly. So I think Jesus here is also saying that there is a certain inadequacy among the law, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. There's an inadequacy to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. The, the, the law couldn't do it. The ceremonies couldn't do it. Who could do it? 
Who did it right? A Samaritan. Ouch. Ouch. How do you think they would have responded to a Samaritan who, in their opinion, is from a completely different religion than them? Anger? Yeah, I think, I think the guy might have been angry, or other people listening might have been angry. To cast a Samaritan as a good guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's a perfect example. It's in my notes. It's so perfect. No, no, no. It's it's great. Think about this. Who would who would be the Samaritan for you? A Muslim, a Muslim refugee person who wears the weird, the, the guys who wear the long robe deals and have like stuff on them and you know they're like super Muslim. They're not just Muslim, they're like way Muslim. <laughs> and that guy probably is also Somali. There's a lot of Somali terrorists coming out of Minnesota. This guy's beat up on the side of the road. Do I dare stop? Is it, is it against their religion for me to stop and help them? I don't know. Do I want to stop and help them? Well, I kind of hate them, don't I? Aren't I supposed to hate them? Aren't they our enemies? What if it was a homosexual, a transgender person? What, whatever, whatever that is for you, of the people that would be hard for you to help. Think about that, because that's who this is for Jesus' audience. The, the worst the absolute worst possible person Jesus could bring up as the hero of the story is this dirty, doggone Samaritan. And I guarantee you the Samaritan hated the guy on the side of the road who was hurt. He didn't like this dirty Jew. They hate us. They don't send us food and we're starving half the time, which was true. They were in abject poverty because the Jews wouldn't trade with them. And the Jews had mostly good land. So these are legit enemies. Okay, Samaritan lives matter. Like, this, this would have been a big, big deal. This was hard. I guarantee you it would have been hard for that Samaritan to stop and help that Jew. And yet he does it. Because it's the right thing to do. You see somebody stopped and they need help, you stop and you help them. And so what are the things that he risks, do you think? Some of them we've already talked about. You can just mention the op- opposite. What did he risk or sacrifice the Samaritan to help this guy? Reputation? Absolutely. Jew lover. Absolutely. That, that, that's, I think that's a legitimate possibility. Well, the innkeeper was Jewish. And so what did he think the Samaritan bringing a guy in to, to help? I mean, just going to, to, to a, a Jewish inn was a risk. You don't know what kind of rough customers around there, especially because this is in a bad part of town. 
okay? This is like downtown Hennepin, way late at night, and you see a guy beat up on the side of the road, and you go into a dirty dive bar to get him help. Like, again, more risk. And a guy comes in who's a Samaritan. Who knows who else was at the inn? There could be some, uh, some rough customers there. Uh, it might have been like the, like the bar in um, Tangled. <laughs> I have little kids. I watch cartoons all the time. In Tangled, there's all these rough guys in this bar, but then they all sing a song and it's happy because um, it's dizzy. Um, but in actuality, people beat you up <laughs> in places like that. So I think he was risking his reputation. I think he was risking a lot. He clearly risked time. This was not an easy thing, right? This took some time. He risked inconvenience. He had to put this guy on his own donkey, which means he had to walk and let the guy ride on the donkey, right? And he spent his own money. He, he, he gives him medicine right there, wine, okay, mixed with oil, which is sort of a bare-bones coagulant, kind of a field triage-type medicine. Um, and then he pays for the guy to stay there, for a doctor to come and help him, and he said, I'll come back and I'll pay you whatever is left. Because he's probably out of money <laughs> at that point. Gave all he had. He gave all he had to help this Jew. The Jew who bled all over his donkey, probably making his donkey unclean, you know, from their point of view. There's so much stuff here that he risks. Uh, pretty much everything. He, he, he may have been on his way to do work, and now he spent a whole day doing this, and it could have cost him his job. It could have cost him, you know, a lot in his uh, village. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yes. Yep. I didn't ask for your help, dirty Jew. Yeah. Or dirty Samaritan. Sorry, thank you. Other guy, other guy. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff there, a lot of stuff. And yet he does it anyway. Um, Jesus casts this Samaritan, the last person they would expect, as the hero of the story. And then he forces them to admit that he was the hero. He's like, so tell me, which one was the neighbor to the guy who was beat up? And I can't imagine what this lawyer is like, oh, man, you got me so bad. Like, the Samaritan... And he actually, he doesn't even say that he's a Samaritan. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Was he a Samaritan? I don't even remember. <laughs> uh, and so Jesus says, go and do likewise. It, go be like a Samaritan is the moral of the parable. Ouch! Horrible. And so, in other words, who's your neighbor? Anybody. Literally anybody. Even the people you hate the most. Even the people you've taught, been taught to hate your whole life, they're your neighbor too. So, I mean, obviously there's a lot of racial stuff in this passage. Um, and Jesus is saying, look, anybody who needs help, you need to help them. Everybody's your neighbor. Um, what do you guys think about the concept of if you were walking downtown after a party or you're at a dinner or something like that, you see a Muslim guy beat up on the side of the road, bad part of town. Let's say it's Little Somalia, like Riverside and 29th. Sarah and I used to live there. Like, what do you do? Do you stop? Nowadays, we have phones. We could at least call the cops. We're crying out loud. Yeah. Do 
Do you, what do you think would be, first of all, thank you for saying that because that's, a lot of us would like to say that we would definitely stop and help. But let me ask you this. How often do you see a hitchhiker that you don't stop for? How often do you see a disabled car on the side of the road that you don't stop for? How often do you see an accident where there's not yet anyone pulled over to help that you don't stop for? Okay, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm just trying to make you think, okay? I'm trying to make you think, are we as righteous as we think we are, or are we the priests who think we're right and righteous all the time? So what do you think it would be that would stand in your way the most? Do you think it's your pride, prejudice? Do you think it's fear? I think fear would be a big one for a lot of people. I don't want to get jumped. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And I would argue, um, kind of like what Jacob said, that this, the story doesn't actually end. It, it wouldn't, the story wouldn't end until the guy came back and paid. Because who knows, the innkeeper might have said, okay, so this dirty Samaritan's coming back. And he like messed this Jew up and then he pretended he was helping him or something crazy. So we got to be here to jump him when he gets back. Like we don't know how the story actually ends. All we know is he helped the guy, which is the thing he needed to do. Emma, tell us your point. Yes. Yes. Nope, and I was going to bring that up, and I think that, that, I think that that's an important thing. We don't want to go too nuts on this kind of stuff and start driving around look, look, looking, looking for people to, like, pick up off the street, like, they, they might get the wrong idea. That might be a really bad idea. Um, especially because nowadays, most of us have phones. Or most of us can run and find the nearest p- other person and say, help, this guy. This guy's beat up. He needs help. Can you call the cops? Because my phone died, or whatever it is. I mean, I think we can all agree that at the very least, we need to do that. But I do agree that for women, there are other safety issues at play. The, the priest and Levite and Samaritan were all men in the story. And I think that that was because Jesus didn't want to confuse the issue with, yeah, but uh, guys beat up girls all the time, and that's, let's not mess with that. Um, so I think that's true. And so I'm not saying that a young single female should stop and help this giant guy who's been beaten and bloodied, but I do think we should call the cops and let them know where they are and maybe try to go find somebody quickly to come help or whatever. Yeah. Right, and, and nowadays we have a better understanding of medicine. Like, you don't want to move the guy. If his neck is hurt, you don't want to move it, you know?
Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And obviously this Jesus gives us a, an extreme example. But what about the everyday examples that we see all the time? I mean, what about the the guy at school or work who doesn't have any friends? Maybe because he's a jerk. Maybe he's a total jerk and that's why he doesn't have any friends. And maybe you actually really don't like the guy either. What about that guy? What about the guy you really don't like? <coughs> you know, maybe that's somebody who needs help. You know, so I think it's good to think about what are the everyday ways in which we face very similar things. Someone might not be beaten and bloodied, but someone really needs help. They really need a touch from God. They really need us to be Jesus for them. Yeah. praying and asking the Holy Spirit, what should I do? What should I do here? What, what do I do? How do I be a neighbor to this person? How do I show love to them? And I like your example of can I buy you a sandwich? Because most people say, oh, he's probably a drunk, so I'm not going to give anything and just keep going. Instead of saying, okay, he's probably a drunk, which that's judgment, but be that as it may. But he does need food, right? Everybody needs food. And so like, I like that example. We'll do one more. Sweet.
Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think that's a great example. And that's one that we can think about moving forward. This is our first first look at this passage. And, you know, it's good to think about how this relates to us individually. Um, but we also want to find out how does, how does this passage speak to us as a community? What are some things we should do? There's a different cross-cultural component to this. There's a definite missional component to this. Going out and, and you spend your time and your money and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so there's a lot of things here that I think we can come back to and look at too. Um, okay, Lord, if you're giving us Luke 10 as a vision for this community, then how does this passage speak to us? What should we do? What should be our response as a community as well as, you know, what should be our response to this passage in the Bible and what Jesus said as individuals. Um, <coughs> we're a couple of minutes over already, so what I'm going to do is close this out and pray, and then uh, I'll give you a small group discussion question that you can stay and talk about if you wish. And if you need to go, that's okay. And you can leave without being judged because it's five minutes after. So, Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that... Um, You are calling us to show your love to other people and to help other people in need all around us in the extreme things and in the little things. And I pray, Lord, that you would help keep us mindful um, when situations present themselves that we are so used to overlooking and not even paying attention to what it is. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would that you would remind us that you would speak to us and say, hey, this is one of those times when you can do something to help somebody else. And we ask you to do that in our lives and help give us the courage to follow it through, even though we don't know what we're doing, because that's awesome. In Jesus' name, amen. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. And if you would like to stay and discuss for a minute, um, I encourage you to do it. And we'll probably be going out to eat in a little bit as well for anybody who wants to come. Uh, I haven't decided yet. Tony's our, our, our social coordinator, which is a title I just gave him. <laughs> so we'll, we'll decide what restaurant we're going to go to. But if you want to talk about this for a minute, um, talk about what are you supposed to do now because of this. Like Jesus gave us this parable. It's a big parable. We all know it. What am I supposed to do?